0: Welcome to HOWC Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Chapter 3, Genesis. Tonight we're going to cover the fall. We're just going to cover one chapter. Tonight, there's a lot to be taken out of this one chapter. The last um, time we did, the first part we did on creation, man was created, his purpose was given. The first covenant in scripture, the edemic covenant was given, that a covenant is a partnership or an agreement. Uh, the, the conditions of that covenant was that man was to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the land, to tend to the garden, to creation. Um, and to, to tend to the animals to be like a shepherd and a steward over all of it. Um, and in return, the only condition was don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that is the covenant. That's the partnership. That's the, uh, the agreement. A covenant is an agreement. So today in chapter 3, we look at the devil who comes to try to convince us to break covenant, to break agreement. So verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So the word subtle means to be sly, cunning, smart, or deceptive. So the Bible tells us that this serpent creature, it's not... A snake like what we would think of today, um, it would be more like what you would think of as a dragon. That's why throughout Scripture, the Bible calls the devil the dragon, because part of the curse was that he would have to crawl on his belly, which means that at this point he wasn't crawling on his belly. So you can think of it more like maybe like a dragon, but it's called a serpent. So this reptile, it's smarter than anything that God has created. So that means it's smarter than even us because we are part of creation. So there is nothing that can outsmart Satan but God because God is not part of creation. He is smarter than the devil. That's why we have to lay down the pride that thinks that we know what's right and always trust God for what he says is right because we cannot outsmart the devil. He is very slick and very cunning. What God tells us to do is for our good even if we don't understand it, but we have to lay down our pride and recognize that he tells us things for a reason. And trust him. And the serpent said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. So this was part of the covenant. Don't eat that tree, the fruit of that tree neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now this is important. The snake told her, You shall be as gods with a small g, and you will know good and evil. A lot of times in Scripture, when the Bible uses the word gods with the little g, it's talking about angels, something that was higher than man at that time, but not the God. So Satan was basically telling her, you can be more than what you are. You can be like us. You can know good and evil. Now think about this. They only knew good because they had only done what God said. Like when you first get saved and, and you're so eager to obey God, and and things are so good, and you're encouraged and on fire, and then there comes a point at which God tells you to do something and you don't listen. You backslide, you fall away. Then it's a little harder to get back. It, It gets more difficult. Why? Because you know the guilt, you know the shame, you know the condemnation. They only knew the good. They only knew the joy of being in fellowship. They didn't know that shame of the fall. They didn't know what it felt like to have that doubt and that fear and that confusion. Once they ate of that fruit and fall, now they know what it feels like to be both good and evil, just like the fallen, just like the angels. So the snake wasn't technically lying to them. He, they did become like gods, like, like them, like the fallen. But he, prepped, he, he presented it in a way that it seemed like it was going to be a good thing, and it wasn't. And the devil still does that. The devil will make you all kinds of promises and tell you all kinds of things and paint a very pretty picture, but it's always going to turn out to your detriment because he hates you because he hates God. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Everything he does is to work towards that end. He is a liar and a deceiver. He's very cunning. Don't trust him. If you think about it, why was there even a tree in the garden to begin with? because really it's all a test to see if we will believe God's wisdom and listen to him or listen to Satan right. remember that it, from the beginning Satan was the smartest thing created that means he was created smarter than us so then we are created in a position where we have to trust God because we can't outsmart Satan he will trick us so ultimately it's a test of faith it's a test of trust Do we trust God, or are we going to trust Satan? What God tells us sometimes doesn't seem like the right thing or the easy thing. It it, it doesn't seem to make sense. What the devil tells us sometimes looks perfect. But in the end, we have to trust God's wisdom and his love for us, and not Satan. The earth was created, and we were placed in it to face this test and to see if we would trust God's wisdom or Satan's because there was a rebellion in heaven before. Remember Lucifer and the angels fell, they rebelled. So to prevent that from ever happening again, we have to pass a test before we can get in. So no one will ever enter the kingdom of heaven unless they can prove in this life that they were willing to trust God and his wisdom over Satan and all of his promises and lies and temptations. That's what faith is. That's why we're saved by faith. Faith is trusting God. It's that simple. We can go all the way through Scripture and and, and get so theological, but when you take it back to the simplicity of this beginning story, it's the same thing happening throughout history. Pride caused the fall of Satan, and it caused the fall of humanity because they thought that they could understand better than what God was telling them. Humility is required for salvation because we have to recognize that we have to trust God because he's smarter than us and he knows what he's doing. We have to give up our will for God's just like Jesus showed us. So verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was Pleasant to the eye, right? It it was good for food, so that makes sense. Why shouldn't I eat it? It was pleasant to the eye. Well, I want to eat it. And that the tree was desired to make one wise. Oh, well, definitely, I want that. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. These are the three areas of temptation that every person will be tempted in. It's written elsewhere in the scripture, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. When the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, in his temptation in the wilderness, he went through three temptations. One was the lust of the flesh, one was the lust of the eye, and one was the pride of life. Any temptation you go to can be brought into those three areas. That's where Adam failed. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened... And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. All right, so what did they do? First thing they did was they tried to fix it themselves. When we mess up, what do we try to do? We try to fix it ourselves, figure out how we can make this work regardless. That's pride. I I truly believe that if they would have just ran to God, humbly crying out, Daddy God, we messed up, fix it. He would have fixed it but there is a pattern of pride that is persisting through the process. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. So first they tried to fix it. Then they realized they couldn't. Then they hid from him in shame, still not running to him. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. We're all guilty of this when we fail, when we fall short, when we sin. Instead of running to God, very often we hide from him. We get so guilty and and trying to figure out how we're going to fix this and make it right. That we start avoiding him when really he's the only one that is the solution to the problem so it's better if we just humble ourselves run confess repent let him get us back on track he wants to do it who told thee that thou art naked Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest eat not now does God know everything yeah so God already knew the answer I think it's pretty obvious that God was giving him opportunity for confession. So he's asking him, how how do you know that you're naked? What happened? Did you eat of the tree? This was his response. And the man said, the woman that thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So this is why we can't pick where we want to eat now, because, you know, the last time we picked the food, Creation oh, <laughs> fell apart but, <laughs> I know. but no this is this is important this is key because this is where a lot of us fail. Um, a lot of times when a person doesn't get a true salvation or a true deliverance, it comes back to this passage. God gave him opportunity to confess. He didn't rightfully write out confess but when he realized that he had to, Instead of taking responsibility for his actions, he begins blaming others for why he did what he did. It's the woman that you gave me. So in other words, it's her fault and it's your fault. So he blamed the wife and he blamed God. Now remember, man is created to be a covering over the wife. Adam failed in his purpose of creation and, and the reason that he was there. He didn't cover his wife, he, he threw her under the bus. This, this is very important because you see this through Scripture. David sinned and Saul sinned. David's sin to us would be a far more grievous than Saul's sin, but God forgave David but didn't forgive Saul. Why? David immediately confessed his sin when it was pointed out to him. And he, he, he said, God forgive me, I have sinned against you. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He owned up to what he did. David acknowledged his sin. As sin. And he asked God not to leave him. And he acknowledged that his sin was against God. Saul told the prophet, it was the people. They convinced me to do this or that. It was his fear of the people. His what fear of the people. He feared the people. This well, I've seen this in deliverance so many times. Where a person didn't get deliverance and the root cause was because they were still blaming everybody else. For the reason that they were who they were and the truth is is the devil is opportunistic he will get in through very bad situations through molestations through abuse through trauma so there are bad things that happen to people that allow them to receive spirits of fear and all those other spirits but if you come to God with an accusation of this happened to me, that person, that person, you are never going to get saved or delivered. We have to come humbly before God with the, with the realization that this is my sin. We all have a responsibility to how we respond and how we act to every situation. I chose not to forgive them and to let the bitterness eat me up. Father, help me to forgive them. Lord, please help me to not have pride. Help me to lay down all this woundedness. Now, God doesn't want bad things to happen to people, and he is there to heal the brokenhearted. But we can't come to him with a heart of accusation and think we're going to find salvation. We have to come confessing our own sins, our own faults, and letting him deal with that. Now, God will deal with the wicked. There is a judgment day coming, and God does not overlook the sins and the wickedness that's done to to people. He will deal with that, but that's for him to deal with. That's not for us to, to try to figure out or to judge. We have to come to him with our own situation. And we see that in the next verse, cause Adam blamed his wife, then he blamed God. All right, a lot of people do that. They want to blame everybody else. They want to blame the ones that hurt them. They want to blame their situation, their upbringing, their culture, whatever injustice they, they are using as a crutch to hold on to their sinfulness. And then when that doesn't work, they start blaming God. Why does this always happen to me? Why does it always come to that? No, God makes a way of escape. It's up to us to choose it. And we have to be humble enough to ask him for it and to receive it. Bad things are gonna happen to everybody. How you react to it is the important thing. We can't stop always the things that are gonna happen to us. What God holds us accountable for is how we respond to those things. We have to forgive. Just like Jesus. It wasn't Jesus' fault that he was beat, spit upon, and crucified. He did nothing wrong. But he was still obligated to respond in the proper way. And he did that for our example so that we could always say, you know what, in fact, there's a scripture that says that he's our example who endured these hard treatments of sinners against himself when he did nothing wrong for it. So we have to use that as our example and be willing to choose to forgive, to choose to pray for them, to choose to trust God for his plan and and seek him for his healing. But I can tell you anytime a person comes to us for (laughs) salvation or for deliverance and and all they can do is talk about how everybody else is doing all these things wrong, then we have to shut it down because you're not going to go any further than that. It, It can't be about accusing everybody else. God has to deal with you for you. And you have to let God deal with everybody else and if you are his he will fight for you vengeance belongeth to the Lord and and it is a fearful thing it says to fall into the hands of the Lord God will deal harshly with those who come against children the innocent or his people it says touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm God will deal with the wicked but that's for him to do the Bible says give place for wrath if if we try to take matters into our own hands, then we become just as guilty as the wicked, and so God can't do anything to them without having to punish us with them. So you do what's right, you be obedient to God and let God deal with the wicked. So Adam blames Eve, then he blames God. So in 13, it says, then the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, And I did eat she wasn't lying she wasn't wrong but she still wasn't owning up to her own guiltiness either she blamed the devil now God blames the devil too because the punishment that God puts on Satan is far worse than the punishment that he puts on on people but he still needed her to own up to her own guiltiness because she did make a decision to disobey God to receive that fruit because of pride she wanted to be wiser than God created her. She wanted what she wanted, even though God told her not to take it. She, tr- she chose to sin, and she needed to confess that in order to truly be repented. So we can all say, the devil made me do it. The devil can influence us. He can't make us do anything. If we choose to listen to him, we still have to confess that to God as sin so that God can forgive and cleanse us. Jacob? So realistically, if she wanted to be wiser, she could have just asked God. And I think that's still the problem today a lot of times is that we try to figure out how to do it without God. And then we end up taking the temptations of the devil and all his lies and tricks and schemes and God's still there saying, just come and ask me. Just come back to me. That's why prayer is so much more powerful than all of the programs and labors and works that you could ever muster up. Because you still have that access and ability now because of Jesus to go and ask God. So she's saying, I got deceived by the snake. He tricked me, which in a way he did, but in a way he didn't, because she knew the truth. She knew what not to do. It was an excuse. It It, it wasn't a full-on confession. It comes back to choice. And ultimately, what you're reading right here is the same thing that carries out throughout all of Scripture and to this day. It's a choice between good and bad fruit which fruit are you going to partake of and which fruit are you going to produce? Our choice has always been between the good and the bad fruit, depending on what spirit we are believing. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruits of the flesh or the fruits of the spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit, we will produce the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, meekness, patience, self-control, all of those things. But if you're listening to evil spirits, you will produce the fruits of of unrighteousness, which is like lasciviousness, lust, uh, adultery, witchcraft, all those things that I don't remember what they all are. But it comes down to this. Things like pride, lust, drugs, which because that's witchcraft in the Scripture, um, fornication, all of those things were things that were taught by the fallen, which we're going to get into in later verses by demons. So what does the Bible tell us? That whoever we choose to make our master whoever we obey we become servant to and they become our master right so if we're obeying jesus then we become his disciples right he becomes our master we do what he taught we're his disciples he's our master if you do what the fallen and the demons taught then you're obeying them you become their disciple they become your master it's that simple whatever spirit you choose to obey is the fruit that you produce. As long as they were obeying God, then they were able to partake of the good fruit. But as soon as they stopped trusting God and listened to the serpent, then they start partaking of and producing the bad, the bad fruit. It ultimately always comes down to that choice. All of this creation, everything that's here, has put here to give us the opportunity to make a choice over which spirit we're going to listen to over who we're going to trust, and that's going to determine whether or not God can trust to let us into heaven. So when the fallen teaches abortion, witchcraft, drugs, alcohol, fornication, homosexuality, lasciviousness, gender, all that stuff, Um, pride, arrogance, selfishness, all of those things were taught by the fallen, by Satan, everything that the scripture tells you not to do and not to partake of. We choose to trust their wisdom, then God's not gonna trust to let us in. That's why the Bible says those that do this cannot enter the kingdom of heaven because he's not dealing with another rebellion. This whole life is about choice. Two trees in the garden, progressing all the way through scripture to the end in Revelation, Jesus or the Antichrist. Are you gonna listen to what God says and trust him, trust his wisdom because it's more than ours? Or are you gonna listen to the pride of Satan that makes you think that you know better? When we don't. We don't even know better than him. He will deceive us. That's why in the end it says many will fall to a great deception. That's why it's so important to trust God, trust his word, trust what it says. I don't care what anybody tells you, what what you wanna believe, what the TV preacher said. You have to trust the word of God, because in the end, that is what will judge us. Jesus said the words that he spoke, the red-lettered words of Jesus, are what God is going to use in the end to judge us. Because when the book is opened and that is read, he's going to see the fruit if our life lines up with it. Did we live according to it like we believed it? And if, it's, if we did, then he's going to say, you know what? You trusted me. Partake of the tree of life. Enter into the kingdom. But if we didn't, then he's going to say, I, I can't trust you because you're still not listening to me. Jesus, What did Jesus say? Not those who call me their Lord will get into heaven, but those who do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Why? He said you're still doing iniquity. You're still doing your own thing. If you're not doing God's will, if you're not willing to give up your will for his will, you're not getting into the kingdom because he can't trust you with the power of that position. And that's what it comes down to. We are here for a purpose. We are not just here to live and get rich or or have pleasures. This is a job interview for eternity. This is where we determine where we're going to end up forever. This is why it's so important how we raise our children. This is why it's so important how we live our lives. This is why it's so important that we try to help others understand how important this very short time that we have here is. We're getting into the last half. This is the curse. Remember in the beginning there was a covenant given. All the blessings of the world, the fruit, the garden, the abundance, paradise, walking with God, fellowship with Him, that was all given to us in the covenant. Our only condition was, don't eat of the bad fruit. So the devil comes and convinces them, hey, you don't have to listen to all of that. It's going to be all right. Do it anyway. So they broke the covenant. Anytime you break covenant, it releases a curse. A curse is basically anything less than the perfection of what God had intended. It will not work out well. I think the height of pride is thinking that you can do anything other than what God said and that it will turn out all right in the end. In my life, that has always proven to be disastrous. No matter how small a thing, if God said something or said to do something and I let the devil convince me that it would be okay to do it another way, Down the road, the butterfly effect happens and everything goes out of proportion and it becomes very disastrous. Don't listen to the devil like the kids say. Don't believe him, he's going to trick you. So verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, God curses the serpent. God does understand that the serpent did trick and beguile, but still they had a place to confess and they didn't do it. So God curses the serpent. Because thou hast done this, thou shalt be accursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So at this point, God cursed him and took away his feet. God defeated the serpent, he defeated him. that's a good one God gave me that God told me that joke one time but yeah he took the feet away from the serpent and now he's crawling on his belly and I will put enmity which is like a a hatred or makes make make them enemies between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the first messianic prophecy in Scripture. The the seed of the woman is Jesus. All right, Women don't have seed, but Jesus was born of Mary without our earthly father. It says that the serpent would have his head crushed by the seed of the woman. That's Jesus. He defeated Satan at Calvary, but he was also wounded. It says, but the serpent would also bruise his heel. He was also wounded in the battle. So this was part of uh, the condition given against the serpent for what happened. Unto the woman he said, I will, okay, so that was the curse for the snake. This is for the woman. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be unto thy husband and he shall rule over thee. So part of the woman's curse was that she would have labor pains and it would be difficult in childbirth and that she would then be subservient to her husband because she didn't do a good job of ruling with him. So now she's ruling under him. And unto Adam, he said, now this is the man's curse because thou has hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Because remember God spoke to Adam directly. Adam job was to instruct his wife, or so it says. I guess we really don't know. God could have told her. It's not recorded, but we do know that God told Adam for sure. I think, yeah, right, I like so it, it's it's implied that Adam heard directly from God on it, and Eve heard from Adam. Yeah, it just seems that Right, so there is a great weight of responsibility on that because he directly told Adam not to, and so he chose to listen to. Eve listened to the serpent, which was the most cunning creature ever created, but Adam listened Uh-oh. to his wife. Yeah. God corrected it. He said, now you got to listen to him. See, <laughs> The same. That is part of our curse. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And now the lady said, hey, hey, I love it. I love it. So I'm, about to I'm just to you. looking I gotta, past the Glenn out uh, right here. I, I, I got to try this. <laughs> But understand that when you are saved, redeemed under the blood of Jesus, he breaks every curse. Except for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I love> you. <laughs> All right, hey. verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. This is very interesting because remember, God originally created Adam. He gave Adam dominion and authority and, and commanded him to subdue the earth and subdue the ground. He then created Eve to be a helpmate to him, to help him in that commission. So when Adam falls, the ground, the earth is cursed with him. It's harder for him to subdue it. So before that, things grew easy. Yes, he was commissioned to Uh, tend the garden of creation, but it wasn't toilsome. Could you imagine the joy of growing a beautiful garden with no Johnson grass, with no briars, with no weeds, with not having to pull grass or weed eat, you know, no snakes or stickers. Like it was a joyful task, but now it becomes toilsome. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So, Before this, it talked about eating the fruits and those things. Now he's saying you eat the herbs of the field. You're going to have to labor for your food. It's not going to be just something growing easily right there that you can pick. You're going to have to grow it. Thorns did not exist before the fall. Thorns are part of the fall because of sin. Throughout scripture, you'll see this imagery continued that thorns represent sin. When Jesus took our sins upon him, they placed what? A crown of thorns. Which, On him. Which really uh, raise the point there's a lot of things that we'd overlook because I don't believe that that's the exhaustive list of all the things that were the byproduct of the curtain. No. So, all that, a lot of things would be like, well, why was this and that like mosquitoes, for example? Like right. That? We know there was no mosquitoes before the, f- before the fall because there was no death before the fall, and you cannot be bitten by a mosquito without killing it. So, yes. if there's no death before the fall, there's definitely no mosquitoes because you'd be killing them things. So yes, all of the bad things in the world came after the fall. So there was no violence Remember there was no death. So if there was lions if there was a t-rex it was not eating meat It was not killing things after the fall Death comes in We might do a fun night where we can show some of the archaeological history but there are actually ancient carvings, tribes that carved in stones, pictures of people riding dinosaurs. There are fossils of human footprints with dinosaur footprints all together, fossilized together. There are carvings all Is over that ancient Samaria with um, carvings of dinosaurs. That was, that was good. That was So, really good. so there's a lot of answers in Genesis. go to that website, there's a ton of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's very interesting. Yes, there were no dinosaurs pre-Adam and Eve. They all, it was all together. But, all right, what verse are we on, 18? 19, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So men are gonna have to work for the rest of their lives to produce the bread, so men are to be the caretakers. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them so this is actually the first death from the moment of creation there was no death they sin and immediately they realize they're naked so God then has to cover their nakedness right because that will relieve their guilt a little bit How does he cover it? He has to kill an animal and make them clothes out of skin. That's the first death. It's the first sacrifice, and it's the first covering for sin to alleviate their guilt a little bit. They would have never had to do that, right? And that continues on throughout uh, history until Jesus comes to do away with the sacrificial system. And you think that would be pretty traumatizing to them, never seeing death before? Oh, yeah. It's probably one of their little animal friends that they played around with and then God had to carve it up for them. The reason God did that, even with the old system, even the sacrifices, it was to show them the consequences, the trauma of sin. Because one day God's going to have to let His own Son die for our sins to redeem us. And He wanted us to understand all the way through that sin costs something. Even to this day, Jesus died and he took upon himself the sins of the world. That's every sin ever committed that we are still committing and that will be committed. So every time you willingly choose to sin, that's more punishment you're adding on to Jesus' suffering. It says you crucify him anew. So when we willingly choose to sin, we're choosing to make Jesus suffer more then he needs to and that's the lesson that god was trying to teach through the animal sacrifices because it was to see that something had to suffer and you don't want that to happen we were called to be shepherds over the flocks so it was something that they loved like a pet you know if 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 you know that if you do something bad your pet's going to have to suffer for it or your children then you might think more seriously or severely about it and he wanted us to understand that that's going to happen to him Because of our sin, his son is going to have to suffer for it. So we need to think more seriously about our sins. It's that important. 22. And we're coming to a close. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So on the east side, he blocked out The entrance to the garden, and he sent them out going eastward. Throughout scripture, for the rest of it, you will always see this parallel and and this um, theme that going to the east represented walking away from God in God's presence. But going west was going back towards God. So for example, if you were in Jerusalem, or if you were in Israel, if you went to the east, you're going to Uh, the mountains where Baal was worshipped, you were walking away from God. But if you chose to turn away from those things and go back to the temple where his presence was, that's going west, you were going back towards God. This is the, the definition of repentance. A person can't just say I'm sorry and say they repented. That's why Jesus said that you're not actually saved even if you call me your Lord or even if you say you're sorry. If you're still doing sin, you have to do the will of the Father. You have to turn away from that other thing that other system and you have to come back towards God you'll see that parallel through Scripture that going west was going towards God or his presence going east was usually going away from it and ultimately when are coming to a close on this I want to leave you with this understanding God's goal is to punish the serpent but it is to redeem the humans the devil beguiled we sinned we had guilt we were wrong in it because of the fall of man because they came out of the covenant and out of agreement they cannot go to heaven every person is born into sin they have made themselves the servant of Satan we have to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus in order to make it into heaven this is why we need Jesus this is why we need salvation this is why Jesus had to come to do all that he did in order to save us. But from the moment that we messed up, God was determined to redeem us. And we need to remember that as we deal with sinful people and with each other, that the goal is always redemption. God blamed the devil and he put a very hard punishment on him. God wanted to run off the devil, but he never wanted to lose the people. That's the only reason we're still here is because we're fighting to redeem. Just like God did whenever in the wilderness there were serpents that came. The people murmured and complained and sinned. And then serpents came out and started biting them. And God told Moses, take a serpent, put it on a rod, put it in the midst. And then when the people look on it, they're going to be healed. For on serpent. Jesus later says that by faith in me, you will be saved just like that. He was put on a cross, He was lifted up, and when we look upon Him and what He did and truly believe it and love Him enough to repent of our sins, to truly see this sacrifice is is making me grieve my sinfulness, so I choose now to turn away from it, then we can be saved and redeemed from it. Now, it used to bother me that God would choose to use a serpent in the Old Testament as a representation of Jesus on the cross, but the Holy Spirit showed it to me. He said, no, no. I was trying to show them that I don't blame them for the sin. I blame the sin within. I blame the serpent. When Jesus was crucified, He took our sin, and then He was crucified on the cross. Satan was defeated. It was the serpent that was being crucified, that was being crushed. Jesus took it to the cross with Him. And it was nailed there. Jesus never blamed humanity for its fall. He blames Satan, and he wants to redeem humanity from it. And so we have to always maintain that heart and that mindset when dealing with people that it's not them, it's the sin within, and we need to do whatever we can to try to redeem them. God tried to bring the same point to to Jonah um, whenever he had no heart to see the Ninevites saved. He grew this gourd, this, this plant up, and then a worm comes and destroys it from within, and he's upset because the plant is destroyed, but yet he's not upset because these people might be destroyed. In fact, he wants God to just get rid of them because he doesn't like them. So God destroys this plant that with a, with a worm, and he's mad about it because it was something beneficial to him, and he tells Jonah, you have more compassion over this plant than over all of these people and their animals. The plant was destroyed by something within. It wasn't the plant's fault. It was the worm. It was something else that destroyed it. And I think God was trying to show him that it's the same with these people. There's something within them destroying them. I am here to do a work of redemption. And so as we see the story of the fall, a lot of people can be very hard-hearted against God and be like, why would he curse all of humanity for such a simple thing? No. There's a lot of lessons to be learned in this message. But the biggest thing to take away is how much he then begins to work through history to redeem us. Because he could have wiped everything out, started all over. He didn't. The whole reason we're still here is because he's still trying to redeem his lost children. And in the end, the enemy will be cast into the pit. And those who choose to obey him and follow him will go with him. Because who we choose to serve, we make our master. But God has made a way of redemption, and that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need salvation, because we need him to kill that thing that is within to rid us of the influence of that evil spirit, and he can do it. But we have to believe him and do it the way he tells us to. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us today. This program was brought to you by HOWC Media Ministries. For more messages like this or information about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.